1: And so he came over, the Swedes that owned the polio clinic got mad, they fired him, we hired him, and he built our wall in our building, and it cost $200,000, by the way, and today he's our manager. It all happened because, like Abraham, we moved simply out there because God asked us to, not knowing how it was all going to work out. And all Abraham knew was that God had asked him to offer Isaac, and he rose up early in the morning, and that's verse 3. Abraham rose up early in the morning. And when it says in verse three that Abraham rose up, it's more than he just got up out of bed, because we see in those words that these are, there were like voices in Abraham's head saying, don't do it, stay in bed, you out of your mind, don't get up and kill your son. But Abraham had to overcome all those voices. So when Abraham rose up, he was rising up from all those voices, he was pushing them away. And he says, I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. I have overcome these obstacles, that's what a friend of God looks like. He rises up to obey God, and he's so eager about it that it says he got up early in the morning, early in the morning. (laughs) Do you really think he slept at all that night? I don't think so. That was not a good night's sleep for Abraham that night. Why? Because Abraham is just like us, and Abraham was just like Paul, and Paul described the the situation that happens in the human heart in Romans 7.22. Romans 7.22, when Paul said, for I delight in, in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul sure did see another person inside of him. Inside of Paul, there was a Paul who was the friend of God who wanted to obey God, but also inside of Paul, there was another Paul who was the enemy of God who wanted to rebel against God. In all of Paul's life, he struggled to give Paul, the friend of God, the advantage and not yield to the other Paul, the enemy of God. And inside each one of us, that we have that also. Inside of each one of us, there is an I who is the friend of God and wants to obey God. And inside of us, there's another I who's the enemy of God and wants to rebel against God. In all our life, we struggle individually to give the eye, the friend of God, the advantage and not yield to the other eye inside of us who's the enemy of God. And this is the way it was for Abraham. Abraham, there was an Abraham, the friend of God, who wanted to obey God, who wanted to sacrifice his son because God asked him to. That was inside of Abraham. But inside of Abraham, there was another Abraham who was the enemy of God who wanted to walk away and say, no way. And that night was a great struggle for, for Abraham, inside of Abraham, to give the Abraham, the friend of God, the advantage and not yield to the other Abraham inside of him, the enemy of God who wanted to forget God. And so when it says that Abraham got up, rose up early in the morning, that was Abraham triumphing over the Abraham, the enemy of God, and the friend of God, won out. And we can feel this struggle and this pain that Abraham is enduring that morning as we have a very detailed description of what Abraham did that morning in verse three. It's remarkable, that list is so detailed. It's like we're following Abraham every step of the way that he went in that morning when it says, first of all, in verse three, he saddled the ass. So there was Abraham saddling his donkey with the, with the burden of this great message that he had from God. He's all alone now with this message. You see, Abraham, he's thinking about it all. He's all alone, and he's going through the motions of saddling the donkey, but his mind is trying to process God's command, and all he knows is he must obey. I mean, can you see Abraham in that? Do you remember? Do you remember that morning of 9-11 and that scene of President Bush when he was first informed about the 9-11 attack in that building, of the, the attack of the building of the World Trade Center building. I mean, do you remember that? Where President Bush was in Sarasota, Florida at that grammar school, listening to those children read when all of a sudden uh, Andrew Carr the, uh, comes in and whispers in President Bush's ear that, the, that Manhattan had been attacked. And as the cameras are rolling, you got to see President Bush as he just sort of looks off into space sort of bites his lip a little bit. He's trying to process what he just heard. And that moment, President Bush was in, was in that grammar school, but he was really his, he wasn't. He was kind of in and out of that grammar school. He's just processing what he just heard. And he looked so alone at that point. He had this secret and none of his students or the teacher or Laura Bush, they knew. None of them knew what he knew. I mean, just, just, this is Abraham. This is a picture of Abraham. Only Abraham knew that secret message that was whispered into his ear by God. And we can imagine Abraham looked just like President Bush, that sort of that biting that lip, mulling it over, looking, he's in, he's out. But he's, he's, he's mulling over all the parts of God's message. It's percolating down through his mind that he has to sacrifice his son. And that's why that little description in verse 3 that Abraham saddled his donkey is so important for us because that little description we get to see Abraham all alone letting God's message just run through his mind and that sort of biting of the lip and all Abraham moves in a saddle in a somber way and he and he saddles up his donkey. Another reason that little description is so important for us is because it shows us what we're supposed to do when we're in a storm of distress a storm of distress. Abraham was in a storm of distress. All kinds of thoughts are flooding through his heart and his mind, and he didn't know what to do next. Abraham just did what he needed to do next, prepare for the trip. And that little detail, Abraham saddled his donkey, it shows us what we're to do when we're in a storm of distress. Like the storm of distress that a phone call brings when you learn that someone very close to you just died. Or the storm of distress when the doctor said, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, but you have cancer or your wife has cancer. Or the storm of distress that just knocks you off your feet like the finch bird that I saw yesterday who flew into the window and just and landed on his back and was kicking and flapping his wings in a struggle, put him back on his feet, and he stepped there for about 30 minutes, and then he said, okay, I need to move the wings and fly off, and he did. The storm of distress hits us like that bird on its back, and that's the time to just ask one question, Okay, what do I need to do next? I gotta go pick up the mail, here I go. I gotta go to the pharmacy and fill this prescription. I gotta make dinner, I gotta saddle the donkey. And Abraham has just heard the most distressing news of his life, that he's gonna sacrifice Isaac. And what's the first thing that Abraham does with this storm of dress? One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. Just walk, Abraham, go saddle the donkey. And so Abraham, with that just heard about the 9-11 look on his face, He just goes and saddles the donkey for the trip. And then Abraham, what's next, Abraham? What's next, Abraham? You gonna tell Sarah, Abraham? He says, tell Sarah? No way. Not unless I wanna become the burnt offering. (laughs) Tell Sarah that I'm gonna go offer her only child as a burnt offering. Let me think about it. Uh, No. Good thing that Abraham was not having his devotions together with his wife, Sarah, when God told Abraham to offer Isaac. Well, then what's next, Abraham? What's next, Abraham? Well, I can't do this all myself. I'm gonna need a couple of men, so I'll go get them. In verse three, Abraham took two of his young men with him. Now, what would Abraham tell those two men? What's he gonna tell those two men? He's gonna tell them the same thing that, that he told Sarah. Well, you know, God has called me to, uh, to take Isaac and go worship the Lord in the land of Moriah. All right, it was very stressful for Abraham. Keep this secret from Sarah, from these two men, and from Isaac it was a storm of distress inside of Abraham. So Abraham's got the two men. He's not, and you say, "What's next, Abraham?" Abraham thinks, "Oh, I need Isaac. Isaac, yeah, I can't sacrifice Isaac without Isaac." So in verse two, three, he says, "Abraham took Isaac, his son." Very matter of fact. It says he took the two men, the young man, and then Abraham takes Isaac. It's not just a matter of fact when, when because when Abraham takes Isaac, there's that little note that Isaac was, "Oh yeah, Abraham's son. That's my son," and we'll know later how much painful this was for him. Now. We all knew, we've know, Abraham knew that was his son. We know it's Abraham, it, it, that Isaac's Abraham's son. It already said that in verse two, but it's emphasized to us so that we can experience the flood of emotions that Abraham has felt as he took Isaac, his son. That hurt, that hurt bad. This wasn't just Isaac, this was Isaac, his son that he's gonna offer. And that's why the Holy Spirit put that little detail in there for us. Just so we'd feel Abraham's pain as he takes Isaac. And remember, this is Abraham's son. And then comes the other very interesting little detail that morning when it says, Abraham clave the wood for the burnt offering. Now, Abraham's got two able-bodied young men. He's also got Isaac. And either of them, he could have asked, can you chop the wood? Can you cut the wood for the burnt offering? But oh no, Abraham has to chop the wood himself. And Abraham had to feel each piece of that wood that was gonna burn up his son. And that time, Abraham was chopping the wood as a time for Abraham just to feel the wood that was gonna fuel the flame that was gonna burn up his son. Because God didn't say in verse two, just offer him as as an offering, but oh no, he was to offer him as a burnt offering. And so Abraham wanted to get as close as he could to the obedience of offering Isaac as a burnt offering. So Abraham says, no, I'm gonna cut the wood. I'm gonna cut the wood for the burnt offering. And later, when Abraham and Isaac, when they would take that, that final walk up there, it was Abraham who carried the fire in his hand. That would be used to ignite the wood that he chopped to offer Isaac his burnt offering. So Abraham chopping that wood, you know, it's amazing he didn't chop off one of his fingers. I mean, it's so disturbing. It's amazing that Abraham could hold it all together which with each disturbing crack, of the split of the wood when it was split by his ax. But as Abraham went through this practice of lifting up the ax into the air and plunging it down with a mighty thrust into the wood, and Abraham was thinking, that's what I'm gonna do with my son. I'm gonna lift a knife into the air and I'm gonna plunge it with a mighty thrust into my son's heart. Now, if you were to ask Abraham at this point, and it's kind of amazing, I mean, seeing there, chopping the wood and maybe a piece of wood or a splinter goes flying off. And he says, well, that splinter will not be used to burn my son. Well, this will. Now, who knows what was going through his mind? But if you were to ask him, say, Abraham, Abraham, you have to you have to carry the wood for three days? Why don't you bring an ax and chop the wood there at Mount Moriah? Why do you have to transport all this wood there? And Abraham would say, well, I just can't be sure that there's gonna be wood wherever God is going to lead me. And after all, God didn't tell me which mountain it's gonna be, so I don't know. It might be a mountain where there's no wood on it. I don't wanna be in that situation. And you know, I don't wanna have to be scrambling at the last to find wood. It's just easier to chop wood here now. And they say, is that the only reason, Abraham? Is that the only reason? Well, another reason is, is because when I get to the place where I'm to sacrifice Isaac, I don't want any delays. I don't want any. Okay, we got to take time to chop wood now. I don't want to do that. I just want it to be swift. And so I'm up early in the morning ready to go. I don't want any delays. When we get there, I don't want any delays. So I'm bringing the wood. Okay. So he decides to chop the wood before they even left and bring it along. So now all this preparation now is done. And it says Abraham rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. And so now, in verse three, and now in verse four, we are told, when you look at verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So that tells us it took three days. It took three days for them to reach the place. It's interesting to think about those three days. Nothing has told us what happened during those three days, but we can ask the question, what do you think happened during those three days? What was those three days like? What do you think It was like each day of that journey, as a little group would break for camp and they'd build a little fire to cook dinner. You think that Abraham might've said to Isaac, oh, Isaac, be careful, don't burn yourself. Don't burn yourself, son, the fire is hot. And all the while thinking to himself, I'm gonna light the fire that's going to burn burn him up. You think Abraham might've said, here, son, eat some of this food, eat some of this good meat here. It's gonna refresh you and give you strength that you need. You think they might have sang songs around the campfire? You think that just before they went to sleep that Abraham kissed Isaac and said, good night, son? You think that during those nights uh, alone with Isaac on that journey that Isaac was just so happy to have this great time alone with dad? A time in which Abraham was not worried and concerned about the affairs of running his big homestead, just quality time that he could have, with, with, that Isaac could have with Abraham, his father. You think that Isaac might've said something like this to Abraham, Father, I just want you to know, I'm so happy just to be with you, just to be alone with you, that we have spent this great time together just talking. You know, I'm, I'm never gonna forget this for the rest of my life. I mean, this is one of the highlights of my life. This is like a father-son retreat. I mean I, I mean, I just wanna thank you for taking me on this trip to worship God because it's just you and me together, and this is just great. And all this was a bonding together between Abraham and Isaac that took place over these three days. That's why verse 4 is so important when it says, on the third day, because it tells us there were three days. The number three is important in the Bible. The number three in the Bible really is a number for examination and bonding with. It's the time to getting to know and love. You know, the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 was singled out, and by each family have their own lamb, and it was kept for three days And during those three days, it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish. So during those three days, that perfect lamb was watched constantly to make sure there was no blemish and no imperfection. You know what happened during those three days when they're watching that lamb? They said, this really is a pretty good lamb. This is a really nice lamb. You know what? I love this lamb. I love this lamb. Our family loves this lamb because this lamb is gonna give its little perfect life to save our family from death. And the Lord Jesus Christ started his public ministry that lasted three years, instead of three days, three years. And just like the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus was watched constantly during those three years to see if, he had, if there was any sin in him. And as with the Passover lamb, those three years were also the time in which the followers of the Lord Jesus would come to love him as the lamb of God that would give his perfect life to save them from sin and hell. But these three days with just Abraham and Isaac was the time when Abraham spent and he got to know his son like he'd never known him before. And he got to love his son like he never had loved him before. It was a time of a special bonding together, a time for the father and the son, the three days, getting to know more fully, getting to love more deeply. And so they journey on and, and just Abraham and Isaac, they're riding on together. They're, they're, they're sitting around the campfire together. They're eating together. And most of all, they're talking together for these three whole days. The most wonderful three days for the father Abraham and the son Abraham, the same, son Isaac to have. Just to do essentially one thing, summed up by one word, together. They were together. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren, to dwell together in unity. That was Abraham and Isaac. Or as the Hebrew word so wonderfully puts it, echad. Echad. It means one, but it just doesn't mean one single one. And echad oneness means a unity, a uniting. Because echad has a very special meaning in Hebrew, because the most famous scripture among the Jewish people called the Shema, which means here, because the first word of that scripture in Deuteronomy 6 4 is, is Shema, it's here. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That was the first prayer that my father taught me to pray. And now I understand it's really not a prayer. Because who would pray back to God and say, uh, Hero? you pray to God, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. I mean, who would say something like that? That's God speaking to Israel. But it doesn't matter. But that scripture is really important. Because in the Hebrew, this word Elohim, which is used in this this verse, is a plural word. It's a plural word, which means gods, or what we know to be the Godhead, or the Trinity, Godhead. So when you see the word Elohim, think Trinity. Ending on the word enu, it makes it possessive. Elohim, Elohenu. Elohenu means our gods, or our Trinity, our Trinity. So in the Hebrew, we know that Jehovah, Jehovah is, we know that Jehovah is Jehovah Jesus. So the meaning of the Shema is this. Hero Israel, Shema Yisrael, hero Israel. Jehovah, Jehovah, who we know as Jehovah Jesus, is part of our Trinity. Jehovah Eloheinu. Jehovah is one of the two, is one with the two other members of the Trinity. Jehovah Echad. So the whole point of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 is to express how God, how Jehovah Jesus, or God the Son, is one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in this very special echad, echadness. is isn't even a word, but anyway, echadness. Now well, this is the point of this part of the three-day journey for Abraham and for Isaac when they built their, their oneness, they built their echadness stronger and stronger And this oneness between Abraham and Isaac, it's going to be emphasized even more strongly by another word as the chapter goes on. But at this point in our history, we just want to pause now just to think in our mind of the parallels that God teaches through this history so far. In this history, Abraham represents God the Father and Isaac represents God the Son or the Lord Jesus Christ when we saw how Abraham held that secret alone and that he was gonna be sacrificed, just was illustrated by President Bush with that secret in the classroom, it shows us how it was in the heart of God the Father that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was going to be sacrificed for our sins, for the sins of the world. It was God the Father who was going to give up his son just as Abraham the Father was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac. This is the whole meaning behind John three sixteen. For God the Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's Jesus. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that very close relationship between Abraham and Isaac, that oneness together, especially during those three wonderful days, is what the Lord Jesus was talking about in His relationship with the Father when He said in John ten thirty. John ten thirty. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are echad, from Deuteronomy 6.4. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that's an expression also of the echadness between God the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And when he said in John 1.18, John 1.18, the only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father That again is expressing this echadness, this oneness between God the Father and God the Son. To be continued. But for now, these are the thoughts for us to think about this week in this amazing history of the testing of Abraham in the sacrifice of Isaac. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you did not withhold your son from us, your son whom you loved, your only son. You gave him for us, Lord, so that we could be saved from our sins. Help us, Lord, to love you more, appreciate you more through this history in Genesis 22. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051.
2: Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, creation museum, and tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104 or sign up at ReachIsrael.com That's ReachIsrael.com What are you doing Sunday nights? Join
0: Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on youtube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org.
2: Get into the Christmas spirit this year with the Friendship with God Christmas album and hymnal book. With over 50 different arrangements on holiday classics, this four-disc set features solo vocalists, group ensembles, and classical piano tracks, and is perfect for road trips, family get-togethers, and holiday parties. In addition to the audio CDs, you'll also receive a copy of the largest hymnal ever published. Containing over a thousand hymns and melodies, this hardbound hymnal book and CD set make for a great gift this holiday season. Order this Christmas bundle today for just $29.99 online at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information, call 619-599-1104. That's six one nine five nine nine eleven o four. 1104